Welcome to the Holy Cross Sermon Podcast. This whole year we're exploring the life and teachings of Jesus in the book of Luke. We're in a series called Kingdom Life. We are looking at how Jesus taught believers to live. Join us now as we dive into another passage. Would you pray with me? Father, we do ask that you give us your Holy Spirit so that we might hear your word, we might receive it in our hearts, that we might apply it in our lives, and we might be transformed by its grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please be seated. Good morning again. Uh, So uh, during the early days of the pandemic, I really became interested in bird watching. It was partly because I spent an enormous amount of time on my back porch in the great weather, on Zoom, or just doing my normal day's work. Now, lately, I've become, uh, I've been looking up a lot, as it is that time of year when birds are starting to make their annual migration south, right? And that reminded me of a story. A turtle once wanted to spend winter in Florida, but he knew that he could never walk that far. And so he convinced a couple of geese to help him, giving them each the end of a rope in their, in, their, uh, in their little claws while he clamped his vice-like jaw on the middle of the rope and they flew him south. The flight was going spectacularly until someone on the ground looked up in, in admiration and asked, who in the world thought of that? And unable to resist the opportunity to take credit, the turtle opened his mouth and said, I did. Hopefully that did not traumatize any small children. Friends, in this case, pride quite literally came before the fall. Yeah, that was the response I got the other day. Pride is a universal problem. It is spiritual in nature. Even James wrote in our epistle reading, the New Testament reading this morning, that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It affects everyone. C.S. Lewis put it this way, Pride is the one vice of which no one is free. And everyone loathes when we see it in somebody else. (laughs) True story. I'm certain that every one of us knows uh, the destructive power of pride. We've seen it bring down men and women in corporate, political, and private life. We've seen it bring down others. And I imagine at some point or another, it has brought you low as well. And today Jesus tells us a story about two men, two prayers, and two very different outcomes. And he tells it for two very specific reasons. The first reason is this. He wants to warn us of the destructive effect of spiritual pride. And second, in contrast, to direct us to find eternal, life-giving, spiritual transformation. The parable of the tax collector, or the Pharisee and the tax collector, is not simply about pride, though, or lack thereof. It's even more than just a basic instruction for effective prayer, though it does offer us something about prayer. 
Jesus tells us this parable so that his hearer, then and now, you and me, that we might find righteousness. That we might find righteousness. It's there in our first verse. Luke writes that Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and then treated others with contempt. It's a story about righteousness and it is directed to those who consider themselves already made it. Consider themselves already righteous. Now, righteousness, it's the very thing that every human being needs. Because as Paul wrote in Romans, no one is righteous, no, not one. Every human being everywhere is in need of the righteousness that comes from God alone. And that is the theme of this parable. How do you become righteous? And so as Jesus introduces us to these two men, you may immediately begin to wonder, which one am I? So two men went up into the temple to pray. It was customary at the time for God's people to pray during the twice daily atonement sacrifice that was taking place in the temple. It happened in the morning and it happened in the afternoon. And the priest there would sacrifice a lamb and then sprinkled its blood on the altar to make atonement for the sins of Israel. And then after the sacrifice, God's people would offer their own prayers. And they would basically pray in one of three ways. Either they would make personal confession... Or they would offer a prayer of thanksgiving to God for his provision. Or third, they would petition God on behalf of themselves or others for things that they may need. That was the typical and expected way in which they pray. And so Jesus now introduces us to the first man, the Pharisee. It's hard for us today to imagine, but the Pharisee was considered an honorable and upright man. For those of us who have grown up listening to sermons and reading the Bible, it's difficult because we know that the Pharisees were Jesus' opposition. They tried to trick him, and they accused him of blasphemy, and they resisted all along the way the kingdom of God which Jesus was bringing. But at the time, they were uh, well-respected. They were the leaders of God's people, and they were considered above reproach. They were today's equivalent of perhaps a member of our vestry, you know, our church board, who also were well-studied in the scriptures and led a life group and led a mission trip. They were involved in everything, and when the church doors were open or the temple doors were open, there they were. And so the Pharisee stands up, presumably in a place of honor, and his, pr- his prayer, it begins really well. God, I thank you. Let me just say that if you are beginning to pray to God or learning how to pray, this is an excellent start. Thanking God, being gracious to God for the things that he's done for you, it's wonderful and appropriate. But the Pharisee immediately goes off the rails, immediately loses it and he turns his focus away from God and towards himself 
turns his attention away from the gracious act of God in forgiveness. Remember, he's just looked at the sacrifice. He's just heard the priest pronounce forgiveness. And he's turned away from that and turns his attention to himself. We learn that he's not aware of his sin at all. And he says, thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. You know, the riffraff, the adulterers, the unjust, the greedy, those who break your law. And especially, thank you, God, that I'm not like that terrible tax collector over there. What we are listening to is an exercise in spiritual pride. You know, God, I fast twice a week and I tithe on everything I get. The Pharisee is basically informing God and everyone within earshot because he's praying in a prominent place and he's praying out loud, presumably, this is the way it happened, that he goes above and beyond the requirements of the law. In his mind, he is righteous and you can hear the contempt he has for others in his words. This parable is directed at him. Now contrast that with the second man, right? The tax collector. Now, the tax collector was perhaps one of the most hated men in all of Israel. He sold out his Jewish brothers and sisters to the Roman authority. He had become the Roman tax man. And he was lining his own pockets by collecting more than was required so that he could become wealthy. We'll see the, the, the hatred that the people of Israel have for the tax collector in just a few short verses when we hear the outrage when Jesus calls Zacchaeus down from the tree and says, today I'm going to have a meal at your house. And he proclaims that salvation has come to Zacchaeus. The people of Israel cry out. They go, why are you eating, Jesus, why are you eating with tax collectors? Why are you hanging out with sinners? Now this man, the tax collector, his prayer was completely opposite. He doesn't stand in a place of honor. He's actually way out over on the edge, on the margins. He, he knows that he doesn't belong there. He knows what miserable things that he's done. He's, he knows that he's such a sinner that he cannot even look up at the altar of sacrifice. He cannot even look up at God and he beats his chest, right? He cannot imagine even though he's watched the sacrifice, even though he too heard the pronouncement from the priest of forgiveness of sins, he cannot imagine that he could ever be forgiven. And it's in that feeling, in that knowledge, that he cries out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner, is his cry. Now, our English translation doesn't really get the full depth of the Greek word used here. The word is halaskamai, and and it really means to make a propitiation for, to cover over, to atone for sin. What the tax collector is saying is, God, would you make atonement for my sin? It is a specific cry for mercy and forgiveness. It is a cry for forgiving mercy, for restoration. You see the difference? On the one hand, the the Pharisee talks about himself in relationship to other people, but the tax collector, the tax collector knows the righteousness. He knows that righteousness is not about comparing ourselves to other people. It's about comparing ourselves to God. 
the perfect, the holy, the righteous God. In comparison to Him, we are unworthy. And the tax collector knows it. So there we are. We have two very different men. They offered two very different prayers. Popular opinion at the time would state if ever there was one who is righteous, it was the Pharisee. And if ever there was one who is unrighteous, it was the tax collector. And this reality makes it all the more surprising when we read about the two very different outcomes of their prayer. Jesus, having described these two men, having told us the content of their prayer, would have us look at the tax collector, and he says this, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The tax collector, in comparison to Almighty God, he was honest about his sin, humbled by his failures, cries out for mercy, cries out for God to atone for him, and he finds justification. Justification is just a fancy word, legal word, about being found or made righteous. He is made righteous by God. He is stated righteous by Jesus. That's how you and I find what we need. We find it being honest about our own hearts, honest about our own lives, and we receive righteousness from Jesus when we humble ourselves. Now, Jesus' audience, they would have been in shock. This obvious miserable sinner is even is given right standing with God while the Pharisee isn't even given the courtesy of his title any longer. Did you notice that? This man went to his house justified rather than the other. <laughs> he went from being a person of honor to being an afterthought because of his pride. The other one goes away unjustified. Here's the problem with spiritual pride, friends, is that it actually leads to a fall. It leaves you stuck in your sin. Henry Nouwen describes the problem this way. He says, avoidance of a confrontation with my real sinfulness means I also avoid confrontation with God's mercy. Let me say that again. Avoidance of a confrontation with my real sinfulness, meaning when I try to, uh, when I'm dishonest about my own heart condition, means I also avoid confrontation with God's mercy. If you refuse to acknowledge your sin, you can never encounter Jesus' mercy. And this is incredibly important for you and for me. Have you ever looked in the mirror? Have you ever looked in the mirror and hated who you've become or what you've done? Have you ever sat down in church and thought to yourself, what am I doing here? I'm such a hypocrite. Perhaps did you get in the car this morning and wonder, should I even drive over to the church? 
Surely God doesn't have anything for me this morning. If you've ever felt that way, this message is for you. Because what Jesus says when he justifies the tax collector, he says to you is, I actually will have mercy on you. I do have mercy on you. I have had mercy on you. Jesus is here for you. When you are stripped away of any semblance of pride, when you are most broken by your sin, when you are lonely and isolated, when you are disappointed in yourself, He actually offers you relationship. He offers you forgiveness. He offers you justification. He says to you, I will make you righteous. I will make you acceptable before God's holiness. How does he do this? Well, the way he does this, the way he's actually already done this, is that he went to the cross. Because while they were looking at the uh, altar where every morning and afternoon, day in, day out, month in, month out, year in, year out, a sacrifice is made for sin, the Bible says that Jesus is the perfect Lamb of God. And he takes away the sins of the whole world. No longer do we need to look for any further sacrifice. Jesus makes the perfect sacrifice. He has made the perfect sacrifice for whatever you've done. And he promises to restore you when in humility you ask him to make atonement for your sins, to cover over them, to forgive them. He promises to restore you to right relationship with God. This is the best news ever. What about you today? Have you cried out to God for mercy? Jesus, make atonement for me. Do you need to cry out to Him today? Or are you like the Pharisee, trusting that you're better than those people over there, or at least some of them, or that you're, you've perhaps been partially, hopefully, cross your fingers, uh, sufficiently faithful enough at keeping some of the law that God might just let you kind of slide in. Do you want to be justified? Do you want to be made righteous? Do you want to walk in righteousness that only Jesus can give you and only Jesus will give you? Do you want to walk out life knowing that your sins have been forgiven? You can. You can. I'm reminded of something that we heard if you were in in, in our Alpha course. We heard this week in our Alpha course. It says this in Revelation 3.20. Jesus says this. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. It doesn't say, I might come in. Jesus doesn't say, I might come in, or I'll consider coming in. I'll evaluate whether you were this or that. Jesus says that he stands at the door of your heart and he knocks, and if you will open it, he will come in. That's his promise. He will come into your life. He wants to come into your life. And perhaps this morning, you want to open the door to him. Be made righteous. Receive His forgiveness. He wants to do it. 
It is his promise. He wants to do it. Let's cry out to him. Let's pray. Father, I do um, thank you that you sent your son Jesus into the world to be the perfect lamb for us. I thank you, too, that we don't have to be uh, hiding anymore, that we don't have to hide from our sinfulness. You know about it. You want to hear us confess it, and you promise to forgive it. Lord, I pray for the, someone this morning, either for the first time or because they've closed the door, that they would open their the door to their heart to you, that you would come in. You promised to do it. Lord, I pray that we would be able to walk out our lives in your righteousness by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.